I don't know about you, but I love just kids' perspective on life. And they're, they're fascinating, and, you know, we have been blessed with six children, and our youngest is eight, and uh, we are ready for grandkids already. It's, uh, and I can't wait to, what they say is, you know, what, what I've heard you say is you get to play with them, sugar them up, and then send them home, and that sounds like so much fun. But kids, kids uh, really have an amazing perspective on life, and Jesus loves children, and he talks about children, and, and um, I have a, a couple prayers that were said by children that I'd like to share with you uh, this morning. A little girl dressed in her Sunday best was running as fast as she could, trying not to be late for Bible class. As she ran, she prayed, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. And as she was running and praying, she tripped on a curb and fell, getting her clothes dirty and tearing her dress. She got up, brushed brushed herself off and started running again. And as she ran, she once again began to pray, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late, but don't shove me either. (laughs) Another little boy's prayer prayed this, Dear God, please take care of my daddy and my mommy and my sister and my brother and my doggy and me. Oh, and please take care of yourself, God. If anything happens to you, we're going to be in a big mess. A five-year-old said grace at family dinner table one night, and he said, Dear God, thank you for these pancakes. And when he concluded, his parents asked him why he thanked God for pancakes when they were having chicken. He smiled and said, I thought I'd see if he was paying attention tonight. (laughs) And lastly, here's a prayer of a student who is feeling the weight of academics. Oh, Lord, hear my anxious plea. Calculus is killing me. I know not of DX or DY and probably won't until the day I die. Please, Lord, help me in this hour as I take my case to the highest power. I care not for fame or loot. Just help me find one square root. And Lord, please let me see one passing mark in organic chemistry. Oh, such a thing I constantly dread. I'd just as soon join the Marines instead. Lord, please give me a sign that you've been listening all the time. Please lead me out of this constant coma and give me a shot at my diploma. <laughs> well, prayer, it's something that people all over the world do. Those who follow Christ and those who don't even follow Christ pray. And as you can see from these silly prayers, um, prayer can be quite misconstrued. Who taught us how to pray anyways? How do we even know that we are praying the right way? Everybody prays, but who's teaching them how to pray? I'm sure everyone outside here prays. My question for you is, who taught you how to pray? Is there a right way to pray, and is there a wrong way to pray? Have you ever thought about that? And do you know if you are praying the right way? Some of you pray, but you really don't understand it because let's look at it. Let's face it. Prayer, it really is a mystery, right? You pray, but you're not really sure how it works. For some of you, it's all about getting God to do what you want him to do. He's become somewhat of a genie in a bottle. Or maybe some of you have had something happen that deeply hurt you. You prayed desperately for your aunt to get better from her illness and she continued to get worse and die. You prayed so fervently for something and God did not answer the way you thought he should. 
So secretly in your heart of hearts, you stopped believing that prayer is important. Or maybe it seems that God answers the non-important prayers, like for Lucy's dog to get better and doesn't answer the important ones, like for your son or daughter to get right with God. Couldn't he transfer a little bit of that energy of getting that puppy better to your son or daughter becoming right with God? I don't get it. And yet some say, well, you just have to have some more faith, right? A while back when Elizabeth and I were having children, um, someone gave us a book that said and claimed that if you have enough faith, you can pray a painless childbirth. And you can even determine the gender of your child if you have enough faith. It's crazy, huh? Right? I mean, the problem comes, though, when Jesus said, you know, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. You can have just a little bit of faith the size of a mustard seed, and you can move mountains. So it really isn't about the amount of faith that you have when you pray. So how has your prayer life been lately? Have your prayers become prayers on the run? Prayers that sound like, help me, bless me, give me? Have they all become all about me? Prayer is more than getting God to do what we want Him to do. It's more than that. Don't get me wrong, there is a place for asking God for things, but if that is the only little part of prayer, what if there's more? What if there's something way bigger than asking God for things? What if we spend our whole life and miss the points or only experience a small fraction of prayer? Well, the disciples, good Jewish boys who've been taught how to pray, they'd been praying all their lives and they saw Jesus praying and they noticed there was something different about the way that Jesus prayed. They saw Jesus praying and they thought, you know, this isn't how... My rabbi has taught me in the synagogue on how to pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray, they said in Luke chapter 11. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the section that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount on how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. So you can turn with me in your Bibles, whether it's a hard copy or on your phone. And as you do, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Oh God, most holy and righteous one, the God of all of eternity, the one who always was and is and is to be, we gather here in your name. Our desire is to lift up your name. And we come here in need of you. We come in here in need of your glory, to see your glory, to have our eyes and the soul, the soul opened up to you, to see you, to hear from you. Because without you, we are lost. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, through the teachings that you gave us while you walked here on this earth. Teach us something new today, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would work in spite of me. 
for your glory. And in your strong name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to share with you three principles and three actions from Jesus' teaching on prayer here in Matthew chapter 6. So you could follow along with me and your Bibles, and I will read, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, three principles I'm going to start out with about Jesus that he gives here on prayer, on how to pray. The first one is, is that there is a time and a place for prayer. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have been received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, he expects us to pray. Jesus emphasizes that it is a sin to pray to be seen and and heard by others. Prayer is secret fellowship with God. And although public prayer is certainly authorized in the Bible, however, nobody should pray in public who does not pray in private. For that would be hypocrisy, says Jesus. The word hypocrite literally means actor, stage player, or pretender. And the religious leaders of the day love to pray in public. But Jesus is saying here that it is not right to pray for the sake of show. Public prayer is not wrong because in Scripture we find it. And we see Jesus praying in public for the blessing of food. And we see him praying in public as he sought God's help in raising Lazarus from the dead. But it is wrong to pray in public if we do not have the habit of praying in private. Observers may think that we are practicing prayer when we are not, and this is hypocrisy. Jesus is not condemning public prayer, but rather the misuse of it. Jesus goes on to say, they will receive the reward in full, meaning you've impressed everybody else that you've been praying out in public here. That's your reward, and that's all you're going to get is impressing others. But I'm not listening to you. You see, Jesus says, go into your closet or chamber and shut the door. Jesus is saying there is a proper place and a time and an improper place and time. Well, you say, you might ask, well, I thought I could pray anywhere. Yes, you can pray, and you can pray anywhere you want. You could pray on your way to work as you're shaving in the car. You could pray on your way to school, putting on your makeup. You can pray, please don't give me, let me have a quiz as I enter into school. You can play, pray. Please, God, don't let mom and dad be waiting up as you come home after curfew. 
You can pray on the run, yes. But Jesus says, if you really want to know how to pray, then go in your room and shut the door. A specific time and a specific place. Now we often see Jesus going off into the wilderness, and that's, and that's what he's beginning to model for us here, is going off to a specific time or place to pray. Maybe it's not in a closet, but maybe it's on your back patio. Maybe it's outside in the woods. Maybe it's on your front porch. Whether Where the place is, as long as it's in solitude between you and God. And if we practice prayer consistently, we will see that prayer will revolutionize our lives. Yes, not just our prayer life, but our lives. You see, it's a lot like a marriage relationship or any special relationship that we may have with someone, right? It takes time, dedicated time. It's about creating dates and communication with your best friend or your spouse. You can talk throughout the day on the go with someone. You can talk with your spouse about the kids. You can talk about work. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about budget stuff, if, uh, what to spend your money on. But when you carve out time and sit next to each other, sit face to face to each other, that's when you begin to have real communication with that person. And in the same way, Jesus is teaching us that, that it's important to be going away whether it's in the closet, a quiet place, and spending dedicated time with God in prayer. Jesus also says, pray to your unseen Father. I like that. We see Jesus often give a beautiful picture of a Father, of our Heavenly Father, and who we are praying to. He recognizes that your true Heavenly Father is unseen and is in Heaven, listening to you. Now, You may say, if I go into my room or I go out on the patio and I shut the door, what am I supposed to do in there, right? Well, if you're asking the question, what am I supposed to be doing there? You're on the verge of a breakthrough. And I think that it's important to be thinking through what prayer is about, what the purpose of prayer is. Okay? God will reward us but not necessarily the answer to our specific requests to our prayer. He doesn't say, I will reward you with the answer to your request. No. And I think we should be thankful for that. It reminds me of the great song of Garth Brooks, Unanswered Prayers, if you're a country fan, right? Right? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers because we don't always know what's best for us. And you can look back over your life and you can remember praying specifically for things and God didn't answer them. He may have told you no, he may have told you wait, but looking back you say, thank you God for not answering that prayer. And that in itself is a reward given by God. Second principle we see here is that there is no value given to long, fancy, meaningless, babbling, repetitious prayers. Verse 7 there. So, Jesus says that when we go into that room, we don't have to have the pressure that we have to come up with some special fancy prayer. So the pressure is off. It's between you and your Heavenly Father who loves you. Now Jesus is not talking against um, specifically against repetitious prayers because He Himself prayed with repetition as we see in Matthew chapter 26. But it is the prayers said without sincerity that Jesus 
is talking about. He's talking against prayers like, now I lay me down to sleep type of prayers. He's talking about prayers like, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. These type of babbling prayers without sincerity, Jesus is saying there's no value to those. Jesus condemned prayers that were believed to have more spiritual power if repeated over and over. Prayers like the prophets of Baal prayed at Mount Carmel when Elijah was um, praying down against the prophets of Baal. Or in Acts, when Paul excited the rage of Demetrius, who in turn aroused the mob at Ephesus, and the angry crowd all at once with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of Ephesians! Over and over for two hours. And he's talking about this. And it would seem that further people become removed from true spiritual worship of prayer, the greater the estimate they put on often repeated forms of prayer. So, Here's the kicker of it all. Jesus says, goes on to say, do not be like them because your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. So you're saying, why would I even pray? Why do I pray if God already knows what I'm going to ask Him? What's the point of prayer? And if you're asking this question, you are on the verge of a breakthrough in your prayer life. You see, there's more to prayer than just asking for things we need. That's the third principle here. There's more to prayer than just asking for things we need. If you're asking, why should I pray if he already knows what I need? Because there's more to prayer than what we may realize, than getting what we want. You see, it's about a relationship with the Heavenly Father. See, parents, we need to be teaching our kids that they are not accountable to us but to their heavenly Father. Someday we will all have to answer to God for our actions and thoughts here on earth. We need to be in an accountable relationship with our heavenly Father. And part of that accountable relationship comes from going into a room and closing the door to pray. You see, many times we all have gone to a church service and we felt convicted about something. We say it was a great service because what the pastor preached touched us, it convicted us, it made us feel guilty. But then we go on with our life and we forget about it. We never do anything about it. We go to church, feel convicted, go home and go on with our life and never change. Now you say, well, Pastor Andrew, I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't have time to go into a room and do nothing. Well, I'm busy too. In fact, I found myself struggling this week finding time to carve out, to sit before the God. And I, and I am a pastor, right? I'm preaching on prayer, and yet I found myself busy with other things than carving out the needed time of being with my Heavenly Father. You see, I've never met an unbusy person, right? If you're going to pray, why not do it the way Jesus taught us to pray? And today you might say, all I know how to do is to ask God for things. Well, start with what you know. But it's about carving a place in your schedule, about carving a place that's specific between you and your Heavenly Father, a private time, a place and time matters. And Jesus says, you will be rewarded. This morning I implore you to make time to spend with your Heavenly Father this week. All right, so we're moving on to now three actions that Jesus gives us in verse 9. And we see that Jesus gives us a great model for prayer, that this prayer is a model, it's not merely liturgy, but it's, 
is something that Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Meaning of light of what I've just shared about, the time and place, not fancy words, and that prayer is more than just asking for things we need. Pray like this, Jesus says. And notice as Jesus prays, there is no me or I mentioned in this prayer. It's either your or ours. Nothing is centered solely on oneself. Ian Bounds said this about prayer. He said, prayer honors God and it dishonors self. Prayer honors God and it dishonors self. Huh. Prayer is about who God is, what He wants, and how He can be glorified. To believe that God is really like some genie waiting to grant our every desire flies in the face of Scripture's clear teaching about what prayer is about. First off, Jesus says, proclaim His holiness. Verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are taught to whom to pray, to God only and not to saints and not to angels, not to Mary. We pray to God and God only. And it is to our Father we must call Him so. He is a common Father to all mankind of creation. He is in a special manner a Father to the saints by adoption and regeneration and an unspeakable privilege that is. Spiritually, unbelievers have another father, Jesus said. He said, you are of your father, the devil, in John 8, 44. So we pray, we pray to our heavenly father and no one else. What a privilege it is to call the God of the universe our father. Hallowed be your name. Throughout the centuries, no name have endured more abuse than belonging to our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. No other name has endured more abuse. What unworthy ideas and notions this world has of God. If you test your ideas of God by the teaching of Scriptures, you will see at a glance that we lack even a due sense of the greatness and the mighty and the majesty of who God is. Each of the many Old Testament names and titles of God shows a different facet of His character and His expression in His will. For example, He is called Elohim, which is the Creator God. El Elyon, Possessor of Heaven and Earth. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Nasi, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord, our shepherd. Jehovah Sidikanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present and near. And Jehovah Makadeshkim, sorry, my Hebrew is very rusty, which means the Lord sanctifies thee. All of these names speak of God's attributes. Thus they tell us not only who He is, but also what He is like. To hallow God's name is to revere, to honor, to glorify, and obey Him as the one and only completely perfect God. And when we do, we remind ourselves of the important difference between us and Him. That is key. When we focus upon who He is, we begin to see ourselves in light of Him. 
God is in complete different sphere than we are. He is holy and undefiled. And we are sinners. Yes, we are beloved sinners. And that love comes through His gift, His gracious gift, the provision of Jesus Christ and His payment for the penalty of our sins. And by this, we have the ability and the privilege to approach His throne because of Jesus Christ's shed blood on the cross. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb on our behalf so that we may come to the Father, the Holy One. You see, there's even consequences. If we study Scripture, we see consequences for not proclaiming His holiness. And we see see that Moses suffered that consequence. Even Moses said in Numbers, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Even Moses suffered consequences for not treating God for the holy God that He is. Once we spend time on His holiness in the beginning of prayer, it begins to put life into perspective. Stay there a while. Don't rush it. Holy is your name. You are great. It affects the rest of our prayer life. Don't rush past this part. So then he goes on in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This second part and this action that Jesus gives, is to submit to His will. This is the second speed bump of three here. And this is the point of prayer. It's a wrestling match with God. This is the hard point. This is the part that He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to wrestle with Him, to share with Him our burdens. Before we can get to our needs and wants and wishes, we must bow our knee and our will before Him. I submit all of me to all of you. Your agenda for my family, your agenda for my money, your agenda for my business, for my career, for my kids, my future, it's all yours. I am fully submitted to yours on earth as it is in my world. See, the point of prayer, listen to this, is to bring us into alignment with God. And this part is important to stay here until we are fully surrendered in our prayer. This is where God truly becomes our Father. This is where God truly becomes real to us. You see, I was thinking this past week that when we pray, this is what we acknowledge, that God actually has a plan for our lives. This is acknowledging that God has a will for your life, for my life, And this is an area that we acknowledge that, God, you have a plan for me and I want to follow it. He's not just some God out there that set the world in place and uh, and spins it and walked off. No, God is intimately involved in your life today. Oftentimes we pray a prayer the opposite of what Jesus is teaching us. Something like, this is my kingdom come and I want my will to be done on earth. And who gives a rip about what heaven thinks? Give me everything I can put in my bank account, everything I want and everything I can consume and lead me into te- not into temptation because I can find it all by myself. Amen. Right? That's, I mean, the, practically, that's how we live sometimes. I don't need God. 
I can find temptation on my own. I don't need him. I want everything that I want. And Jesus is teaching us the opposite of how we should be praying and in relationship with God. Recognize who you're praying to. I want your will more than I want my will. I submit everything in my life to you. My bank account, my relationships, my kids, my job, my leisure time, my retirement. It's all yours, God. It's all yours. So how long does it take in this part of prayer, in our prayer life? Well, it depends. It depends on where you're at in your relationship with the Father. Jesus prayed short prayers with when he was resurrecting Lazarus, or he also prayed all night long when it was the night before he was to be betrayed and went to the cross. He prayed all night long. He sweated blood because Jesus recognized what was what the Father's will was for his life. It was a very uncomfortable, sacrificial will to give up his life, to experience complete separation from his Father, who he had never been separated for eternity. So he prayed all night to the point of sweating blood. He stayed there praying until he could submit and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Father. See, the length of our prayers depends on the conditions of our hearts. You say, I want to say that. I want to say it's all yours, God. I I, want to submit to you. I want to trust in you for the future, not control things. But I can't. I just don't see how you're going to work it out, God. And God says, I understand that. I understand where you're at. Let's pick up here tomorrow. Same place, same time. You see, prayer is about relationship. God wants you to talk to him about the thing that you're holding from him, that you're protecting, that you say, nope. Not this God. God wants it all. Because God is the God who's the healer. God wants to reward you. God wants to reveal something new about himself, that he is trustworthy, that he is good, that he is faithful. That relationship, that business deal, you think you can hold that from God? We can't hold anything from God. We can't hide anything from God. And if we think we do, then our view of God is this big. God is gracious. God is patient with us. And I'm so thankful for that. Lastly, acknowledge your dependence upon His provisions in your life. Verses 11 through 13. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, we need him. We need him to provide in our lives. We are dependent upon him. I know us rich Americans tend to forget that very quickly because we have been blessed with so much. But we actually have everything that we have because he gave it to us. And this is key. 
He is God and we are not. He is the great gift giver. And we must acknowledge our dependence upon His provisions in our life. We rely on Him for our daily bread, our physical needs. Jesus reminds us of the people as He was teaching them. reminds them of their daily need when they were back in the wilderness and they had that daily bread of manna coming to them. Each day they needed to go out in the morning and collect their daily bread. We also rely on God every day for our physical needs. We are so blessed. And yet at times we worry, right? We worry when the car transmission goes out. We worry when we get a call from the doctor. When a certain business venture dries up or a job ends, we can tend to worry and we need to pray in a way that we are relying upon Him for all of our needs. We also acknowledge our dependence on Him for our forgiveness. We receive forgiveness of our sins because of Him sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. As we are forgiven by Him, we also need to remember to forgive others for their sins and for their offenses against us. And this is a supernatural work. Jesus says we need to pray and ask God to help us to forgive others. We have been forgiven so much, so let us forgive others much. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of reconciliation. Because God has forgiven me, I can forgive you. And lastly, we depend on his protection from the enemy. He is greater than Satan and his helpers, and we need him to protect us. We need His Holy Spirit to fill us and give us strength so we can say no to temptations that come our way. And when we think we are strong, then we are weak. We must watch out. Satan is always ready to prowl around like a roaring lion, looking to pounce on us. When we let down our guard, when we think we'll never do that, Satan is crouching, waiting for us to attack. And we need God's protection in our lives on a daily basis. So I just want to close here today and just end with a, a quick story. When I was a kid, um, we had some family friends that took care of um, some um, handicapped people that lived in a big group home down in um, the city area. It was a big stately home, and um, the, the friends of my parents invited us down for Thanksgiving because they had to stay there and provide Thanksgiving for the residents in this home. And so we went there, and we had this big Thanksgiving meal, and this was a fun cool house. It was a big stately home that had a big carriage house in the back property of it. And as kids we were, we went around exploring and we ended up playing hide and seek throughout this house. It was a lot of fun. We actually discovered that there was this hidden stairway um, that was going up in the, in the back end of the house. It was pretty fun. It was a lot of fun. And as we were uh, heading on our way home from um, the Thanksgiving time that we had, my dad said to us, hey, did you guys know that that house was a part of the Underground Railroad? And I, we said, no, I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, actually, if you went down to the basement, there actually was a trap door, and from there, there was a hidden passageway from the basement out to the carriage house, and you could come back and forth hiding, and that's what they did with the slaves that they were freeing on the Underground Railroad. And we were like, what? That was there? We totally missed it? I can't believe it. 
And you know, that was like such a disappointment. I never got to go back to the house. I don't even know where it was. And I doubt my parents would remember where it was if I asked them again. But there was this whole side of the other house that I had no idea about. And I missed out on it, but it was right there. And today, I want to encourage you not to miss out on all that God has for you in your prayer life. All that Jesus has for you in your prayer life. Don't miss out. Don't just spend your time praying on the run, saying, help me, God, help me do this. Please bless me with this. But remember that there is a specific time. Jesus said, go into that closet, shut the door, and spend time with your heavenly Father, and you will be rewarded. Those of you who have practices and consistently experience this reward. I think if we went around and asked all of you, what is that reward? They would be different, but they yet we would all understand what that reward is when we spend that time alone with our Heavenly Father, coming before Him, acknowledging our needs before Him, acknowledging our will that it needs to submit to His will, and hallowing His name, lifting up His name. So I'm going to ask you right now just to spend a moment in silence before our holy God. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? Would you proclaim His holiness today? And would you take time to submit to His will? Whatever the Lord is laying upon your heart today that you've been wrestling over, would you be honest with Him? Would you confess it? Maybe there's something you've been holding on to that you just can't let go. Confess it. Admit it. Admit your need to Him today. And would you acknowledge your dependence upon Him in your life for your physical needs, your spiritual needs, your relational needs, your emotional needs, for your protection. And all God's people said, Amen.